This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. Welcome to the Craft Beer and Brewing Podcast. I'm your host, co-founder and editorial director of Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine, Jamie Bogner. Uh, we are here for another socially distant but live episode of the podcast, sitting out on a genteel patio uh, in front of the home of Eric Wallace, the co-founder and president of Left Hand Brewing. Welcome to the podcast, Eric. Thanks. Glad to be here at home talking to you. It's it's been something. Yes, it, it's a. This is the first time I've ever done a podcast sitting on a hanging porch swing, and so <laughs> it is a a comfortable and uh, kind of beautiful environment for this. Uh, we've managed to m- maintain a, at least a good seven foot distance here between us as we do it, and everything has been thoroughly sanitized. I feel like, you know, as we intro any podcast that we're doing live now, we have to explain this so that it doesn't sound like. We are somehow violating the spirit of social distancing and everything else. Oh, and I think this is part of the historical record. I mean, all of these br- broadcasts and film, filming clips and stuff and masks and, you know, the reason we're on my porch is because this is, we can have a beer here legally. <laughs> <laughs> we can at the brewery right now. For first, sure. That's the first time in our 27 years that that's not the case. Yeah. Uh, Eric's the past president uh, of the board of uh, the Brewers Association, and we're going to talk a little bit about the broad impact to craft beer in general of the COVID-19 pandemic. We're going to talk about uh, some of the government's responses to these, uh, how breweries can help navigate some of the challenges, his experience in trying to figure out a way through this, um, you know, in a way that hasn't been solved yet we are going to you know also talk about some of uh, you know what that has meant to the left hand business and we'll also talk about left hands brewing uh, as well because it just wouldn't be a craft beer and brewing podcast if we only talked about business before we get started nearly 2000 breweries across the US Canada and Mexico partner with GND Chillers innovative modular designs and no proprietary parts propel GND ahead as the premier choice for your glycol chilling needs Breweries you recognize like Russian River, Ninkasi, Jack Sabby, Samuel Adams, and more trust G&D to chill the beer you love. Call G&D Chillers to discuss your project today or reach out directly at gdchillers.com. Also, Old Orchard supplies craft juice blends from the heart of Beer City, USA. As the industry blending experts, they supply major national brands and growing breweries alike. They've been the best-kept juicy secret in craft beverage for years, but now the secret's out. Breweries across the board are experiencing a seamless transition to Old Orchard as their new juice supplier. So hop aboard the Old Orchard fruit train, their sample kit starter pack, is waiting for you at oldorchard.com slash brewer. Eric, we normally start off the podcast with a little bit of history, and uh, yours is a very long one um, with many, many facets to it. But uh, could you condense that in a couple of minutes to give us the highlights of the Eric Wallace brewing career? Two minutes. Okay. Um, Dick Dorr and I were uh, squatter mates at the Air Force Academy. Um, that's how we met. Um, I graduated in 84. He graduated in 85. We met, re-met each other um, back in um, Colorado in 
the summer of 93. I'd just gotten out of the Air Force. He'd been out for a while going to grad school. And my wife and I were looking for a place to live. We, we ended up here. He ended up back here with another friend of ours. We talked about starting a brewery. I'd just been on a six-month cruise through all the Western U.S. up to Alaska and back and visited many of the classics you now know. And I was like thinking, this is going to be a business. So we started a business plan, raised some money with friends and family, classic, you know, shoestring story, totally undercapitalized, took over an old meatpacking plant here in Longmont and started going. And through that, we've, you know, grown, hired people as we needed to. We started a distribution company back in 1998. We emerged with Tabernash before, you know, acquiring other breweries was, was cool. We were doing that too. Um, <laughs> We, we sold our distribution company. We've, you know, we've expanded, we've built on, we've hired, we've built systems. We've been dragged out really into an, a practically a national footprint. We're in 45 States now. And, uh, and we started back in the day when there were two kinds of breweries, there were brew pubs and there were packaging breweries because tap rooms really did not exist. We didn't. No one had figured sure, out sure. the legal way to make that happen yet. And if they could, they were just there for sampling and no sales. We were giving away samples yeah, when yeah. we first started until Colorado Brewing. I think it was Colorado Brewing Company over in Thornton or somewhere figured it out. And then I called the state to ask, you know, how to legally do that. And then when Odell called me and Mike Bristol called me and every, we all started calling each other trying to figure out. And we all started selling. It's like this selling pints thing is pretty cool. Um, we it's should, a lot better than giving we, them away. We should do that, yeah. you know, in addition to selling takeout. So, um, yeah, morphed into that. But, we, you know, at our roots, we, were, we started off packaging in, in bombers and, and draft, like many of our aged cohort. Sure, sure. Isn't it so interesting, you know, that this current kind of pandemic environment has given us a new perspective on the interaction between brew pub, tap room, um, production brewery and the place of all these in a kind of business mix for a brewery. Um, thinking about it and having some conversations with breweries, I, I mean, you know, last year, uh, two years ago, earlier this year, if you'd asked most, most would say, well, the, the only viable way to start a new brewery right now is to focus on your tap room and focus on high margin beer that you sell over the, the counter of your own tap room. And, you know, this kind of experience, this pandemic and these closures have shown that to not be the best possible strategy um, for small breweries and that the only breweries that are really maintaining kind of revenue and a kind of continuing business through this process are those that can package and the ones that seem to now have the uh, are in the best position to kind of have money coming through the door, keeping people on. Um, you know, and making through this are those those breweries that can you know package pretty efficiently. Talk to me a little bit about um, you know your experience in that, how and why you've built the business with both those kind of production and taproom sides, and how you've seen this kind of current impact impacting your those different parts of your business. Yeah, well, as I said before, we're you know we started off we're just packaging. Um, and, and distributing and I'm driving beer around selling it to retailers. So that's, that was the game. And that was, that was the game. And there was no other game. I mean, nobody was doing anything different. If you were sure, either a restaurant sure. brew pub or you were, or you were, you were packaging and there were only a couple hundred of us in the States, you know, working. So, so that was just the way we did it. And 
I mean, over 27 years, the pendulum has certainly swung. We've, we finally figured out, oh, we can, we can legally sell pints of beer. Cool, let's legally sell pints of beer. And then it was like, man, we're, we don't have enough room in here. You know, I, I get 12 people in here and it's really crowded. So now we need to start expanding. I think we've expanded our tasting room five times you know, over the years. We've added on, we've built on, we've expanded, we've knocked down walls, we've, knocked, we've built walls, we've knocked down more walls. So it has grown and grown. It's still you know, single digit percent. Well, it's only like 2% of our volume. It's probably closer to 6 or 7% of sales you know, in a normal time. Right. And uh, and it's probably low double digits in margin. And when you look at that, you go, holy crap. Um, that's that's important to understand where your margin comes from. Because um, straight packaging is has always been a little bit tighter, I mean, margin-wise. And the first shakeout really was at least partially attributable to, you know, people over-expanding and not ready for distance selling and shelf life stability and all of those other this things. This is that, that late 90s, early 2000s. That, yeah, that we talked about. When it, I mean, the number of breweries operating over a five or six year period went down several years. The number went down. You know, and six months ago, if you t- you, you're telling people that and they go, oh yeah, that'll never happen again. Uh, I've always been of the mindset, the curves will cross again. Trying to predict when is like trying to predict the stock market, right? Sure. But it's inevitable just from a pure math standpoint, that is gonna not. It's got to happen, and it took something like this. And here we are. Yeah. To to really, we'll see where the numbers show up. Sure, but sure. I think the odds. If I was betting the over under, I'm betting that uh, that closures will exceed openings this year for the first time since 2000 whatever. And I feel like I have to say, like you know, we don't celebrate that fact. Like this is not this is not a a morality for over opening of breweries. People when they open breweries put their hearts and their their you know families savings and you know their vision into kind of creating these businesses. And it is a heartbreaking thing when that becomes not a viable ongoing concern. Um, we don't wish that on anyone. Um, certainly, we don't wish pandemic. I mean, this is just a horrific situation that most breweries find themselves in. This situation is brutal on business. And, you know, people for, for decades, they come, oh, I'm going to start a brewery. My, my first response is, you're, you're effing crazy. You know, and it's been that's been my attitude for a long time. It's like, sure, you know sure. how competitive it is out here? And, and then the taproom model really started to blow up what? between five and 10 years ago, five, let's say, yeah. yeah, somewhere in there. And it really started to go in the last few years. It's just exploded. And you look at that and go, yeah, that, that, that's rational. You know, every, if you can operate a little neighborhood community center and make good beer and give people a reason to get together and contribute to the betterment of society, that's a cool model. And the BA, you know, when we were on the board, we were, we've always been super conscious of the fact that, when when we started, when I started the board nine years ago, um, it was made up of all of the bigs. I mean, you walked into that room and you're like, "Oh my God!" You know, I'm I'm yeah, standing amongst yeah. giants, and um, and over that period of time, the number of of small producers and the, the average production size has gone down. You know, per brewery, and most of the breweries are actually quite small, and they can make a, a living by by selling pints. We created the new um, tap room class specifically to to bring that 
viewpoint and that voice onto the board because we realize we're serving many masters. We're serving home brewers, we're serving brew pubs, we're serving packaging breweries, we're serving tap rooms. Um, we're serving a, a wide community on the at the BA. So that was that's definitely a sign of the times and a, and a recognition of how things have dramatically changed. Um, the packaging side is is it's more expensive. It takes more technical, you know, expertise and tools and QA programs and distribution relationships and contracts and attorneys and IP protection and dun, 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 dun. I didn't get into this for all this stuff. <laughs> However, as you get into it, you know, once you're in the river, you're swimming. Right. And we didn't have a choice. That's how that's how all of the people of my generation started. Right. So that's what we did. And you know, for the last several years, we've been going, man, we're, we're not the cool kids anymore. We're just these old staid guys that put beer in package and have their tasting rooms. But, you know, it's all the, the new sexy cool stuff that's happening that's getting yeah, all yeah. of the press. And um, it's really weird. The pendulum swings and swings. And it's right. so hard to predict where it's going to swing. We were talking about Pilsner earlier. Like, I grew up in Germany in high school. I grew up drinking Pilsner. And Pilsner, you know, it's like, that's, that's cool. That's a great style. When we merged with Tavernash, it was like, great. We're going to have Pilsner and Vice Beer available to us now. And then it goes, you know, lagers go out of everyone's bad-mouthing yellow fizzy lagers. I talked to, I talked to Greg on the phone the other day. Um, and, and now, all of a sudden, here it comes swinging back. It's a pendulum. Right. But nobody is consistently predicting where the hell the damn pendulum is going to swing and what segment is going to be at an advantage. It's, no one's that smart or prescient, <laughs> I don't think. I, you know, and I think that pendulum starts to swing faster and faster, too. You know, that's the, the strange thing about this is, is just how quickly it starts to move. Um, you know, how do you kind of manage through that swing? I mean, before we get into that, I'm, I'm really curious. You mentioned earlier that Taproom is driving double-digit margins, and that was a really exciting thing. What kind of margins would you typically, off of the packaging side of your business, uh, be happy with? I mean, no, I was just talking as a relative percentage. I mean, yeah. the margin contribution from a pint of beer sure. far exceeds the yeah, margin yeah. contribution of a bottle of beer or a can of beer, a roughly equivalent volume. It's like not even close. Sure. As sure. I've as I've consulted for others, like, oh, we're gonna we want to spend a couple hundred thousand dollars so we can get into packaging. It's like, dude, you. <laughs> Do you, do you hear what you're saying? Like, do run the calculations, run the ROI on. Why don't you focus on selling 20% more on site rather than having to quintuple your business to get the equivalent margin? And now you've got a bigger space, and you got a bigger lease, and you got more equipment that you're maintaining. It's like the complexity of going that direction really is a lot, and that is dangerous. Um, we have always, since the late 90s, when we almost went out of business during the shakeout, been really, really concerned. We've be, I become very conservative fiscally. And leverage is, is a big two-edged sword. You know, it, it either is a, an escalator that takes you up fast and you can really goose your growth by borrowing heavily. But if it doesn't play out, then all of a sudden you discover that you got a noose around your neck. So it can, it can change very rapidly as well. And advice that my board's given me is like, when it turns, it turns fast. And, I, and 
that they didn't know this was going to happen either. Right. But you know, I've always thought when it turns, it turns fast. You better be ready, and you better be building a strong balance sheet. And I, I don't think that that certainly no one's thinking about that, or most people are not thinking about that when they have that gut drive to start a brewery. And it's just it's an overwhelming urge and need and passion. And I understand that because I've gone through it as well. But that's your first thing is not build a strong balance sheet. Let's make sure that we are overcapitalized so that we don't run out of cash too early. I mean, it's like don't don't tell me that. I'm just going to brew beer and save the world. You know, get but, out of my way. Uh, but but uh, like trying to be overcapitalized or having that kind of working capital, you know, in a brewery where you're making really thin margins on the product that you make um, becomes almost impossible. You know, you can't sit on six months of working capital. You know, that would allow you to you know keep the the business going for that long. It's just an inefficient use of that kind of money, which is you know kind of brings us to a, another point in talking about kind of pandemic response. One one of the things and one of the first things the breweries did was furlough, you know, and it was this amazing to see how quickly it happened. Um, I want to answer that question and I want to I want to back up just a little as well. So let me answer the question first. Sure. Furlough. What when you say furlough, I hear conserve cash. Cash is king right now when all of a sudden your business is is. dropped or non-existent and closed and how long can you survive is totally a function of how much cash do you have on hand and how much debt are you able to access and are you willing to go into because as you accumulate debt you are increasing risk the two go hand in hand debt equals risk so those things are critical and the first thing you got to do is like what's my burn rate how long do I have before I have to declare bankruptcy? So furloughing, and especially in, in today, it's not a moral issue. Yeah. That's a, it's, a, it's a surviving, it's just a requirement. If you're going to survive, you have to trim the size of your, your you got to cut your expenses to match whatever you're lucky enough to have coming in. So that's critical. If, if you want a business to be there for employees to come back to, and that is it is a necessary function. And and our drive has always been we want to stay independent. We want to continue to cr- contribute to our community. We want to bring people together. We want to address world ills with beer and through all the things that beer touches and all the people that that are involved in that that realm. And in 27 years, we've actually discovered we flex quite a bit into other spheres that we never intended to be involved with. But it happens. I also wanted to go back and say, as we were talking about razor thin margins and this and that and inefficient use of capital, it took us through the first shakeout. It was it was 10 years before we really saw, looked at the situation and said, oh, OK, we now have a business because it was so perilous for so many years starting off when craft beer wasn't a thing it was 0.1% of the market roughly when we started so and nobody had it was very few places when you found a place with decent beer on draft it was cause for celebration um, most of the handles we were getting I would try to get a sawtooth ale on somewhere where there was Bud Light Miller Light and Coors Light or whatever I mean that literally that's that was what sure, we sure. saw walking into a bar back in 1994 
So getting one on was solid and you knew it was going to turn because they only had three handles. Getting a handle now that you've worked six months for and you get one turn and then you give them a tap handle, you're just losing money every time you sell a keg, you know, into those kind of accounts. It's really, really, it's really hard. It's really changed. But the world has dramatically altered. That's true. We can't even talk about the, you know, the, the troubles and dangers of rotating tap handles because there are literally no tap handles being poured right now in America. Maybe, maybe a few, you know, for some mason jar takeouts and a few growlers. But I mean, it is draft. What does draft business look? Are you even kegging beer right now from the brewery? Uh, I saw on our <laughs> in terms of sales of draft beer last month, I um in March, I think the sales dropped to about seventeen hundred bucks, you know, from from six figures. Yeah. And I don't know April sales yet, but March sales just plummeted. It. Think about it. We're a stout brewery. <laughs> That's what we're most known for right now, and we ended up getting closed down in Colorado on the sixteenth of March. Sixteenth of March, like. If you could say, left hand, what's the the best way to totally screw you guys? You know, pick a day when right. we're just going to close you down. I mean, let's do that, it it pretty much, let's do it the day before St. Pat's. That, that'll screw these guys up the best that we can totally screw them up. So our maximum load in accounts and in distributors in draft is right then. So that's that's our our view of the world. It's like, wow, this, this really, truly, completely and totally sucks. Um, and I know everyone else is stuck in similar boats. That big Denver Post article today, if you saw that, about about kegs out there in the business. There's a huge coalition building for perishable food now because Congress doesn't want to do like beer-specific stuff, even though it's right. attacking all three tiers, you know, retail, sure, distributors, sure. And, and brewers. But the food guys are getting involved, milk. Uh, farmers, National Restaurant Association, Food Distributors Association, all these different organizations with strong lobbying presence in D.C. are all getting involved, looking for some kind of recognition and relief. When the government shuts down the main way you make a living and pay your people, you at least have the right to ask for some kind of, you know, some kind of relief, whether it's a tax credit or whatever, because everyone's screaming, what are we going to do with all of this beer? And if a wholesaler asks us, hey, are you going to help us out with all this beer that we've got of yours? And then we turn around and go, hey, are you going to help us out with all the beer that you ordered from us that you didn't take? You know, so you've got everybody pushing in different directions. And it's no one's fault. You know? It's no one's fault. Yeah, it's, it is just the situation that we're in. And, you know, and I think that becomes... It becomes a thing that can't be solved through GoFundMe's or through a support your local brewery campaign alone. You're right. It has to be solved in a systemic way at that kind of fundamental level of government and seen as an investment in the future of our economy and the future of these businesses um, so that we have a world that has these employers that exist in the future and that has these opportunities for people to participate in the economy. I would hope that there are economists out there looking at what's the, the cost of maintaining these crazy expensive programs like PPP. We got a PPP loan. Yeah. We, we're in the middle of it right now. We brought people on. They're getting extra hours than we would normally give them right now to get projects done and and get some other stuff done and try to keep 
keep the crew together. We want to keep the band together because we want to be part of the solution when we come out of this, whenever the, the hell that's going to be. And I think the government needs, needs to balance UI benefits extended. We're just going to keep giving away money or we're going to subsidize the front end where the, where the, the sales are happening and where people are working and we're going to do whatever we can to keep them in business so that they can relaunch and rehire everyone. So where 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 are we going to spend the money? You got to spend it somewhere. Oh, and uh, editorial, pure Eric Wallace editorial. I think we should be spending all the money necessary to test and contact trace because without that, those of us that thrive on the hospitality business... We got a long ass road ahead of us unless we can actually open up and people can feel safe and it's not going to explode again on us. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, PVP. And before we do that, this episode is brought to you by Hopsteiner, your premium hop supplier dedicated to delivering quality hops and hop products in every package. Visit hopsteiner.com for a complete list of offerings or select shop hops to start ordering today. Also, Ska Fabricating is excited to introduce the newest player in their all-star lineup of canning line automation, the Magic Bus, a fully automatic can depalletizer with pallet management. No more pouring time and labor into the manual handling of pallets, top frames, and tear sheets on your canning line. Packaging teams can simply load cans, deband, and press start. To learn more, contact Ska Fab today at 970 970- Four zero three eight five six two, or reach out online at scafabricating.com. I love those scafab guys. Good, cool, good guys down there. Absolutely, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about PPP. I mean, this is as as from my viewpoint, a glorified unemployment uh, you know program. If it is, it is built in the kind of forgivable nature of that loan program looks like something that is meant to keep people off of unemployment rolls. But for you as someone who operates part of your business as a hospitality business and cannot keep, you know, cannot have that part of the business even open. And, um, you know, it has to be, you know, and, and doesn't also have a horizon for when that can open. Um, having a program like that, that has very specific time frames and, uh, you know, very you know, specific provisions has to, pose a bit of a challenge is that going to be enough to get brewing businesses through this or is it going to take more <laughs> is that going to be enough all right i'm gonna i'm gonna put on my prognostication hat let me first say that this program certainly is imperfect the program was designed for maximum speed of getting sure, money sure. into businesses maximum speed and, and i don't with, mean without regard to efficiency with, with without regard to the excess right, waste right. of the program and really for us we, as we worked with our bank and let me say your banking relationships matter small community banks let me just put out an ad for them they are awesome and yeah, you should yeah. be working with them to whatever extent you can because who had the biggest problems the biggest banks they don't they don't I'm going to try not to swear on your broadcast. They don't care Everyone's about you. Everyone's 21 here. You can say whatever <laughs> they, you want. They don't care. They don't care. Sure, sure. They, they, they took care of their big guys, right? Right, right. So our community bank was so fast and, and so is, easy, yeah. and it was it was seamless. It was cake. And I read all these horror stories like, obviously, you haven't focused on your banking relationships. So so let's go back to— And it, I hear you, and I can tell you that 
even in northern Colorado, five out of five brewer friends who were all able to secure PPP loans, all of them were small community banks. It is interesting that having those relationships and those advocates that are going to kind of pull and push for you um, have made the difference in this kind of thing. Back to the to the, the question itself. The, from our perspective, we wanted to push taking the loan money. We wanted to make sure that we got approved, which we got approved. It's like, okay, we want to wait because I got people sitting on the sidelines here until the law allows us to, to reopen and safety would dictate that it's safe to do so. so but that's not really, it, that was not the intention of the program. Right, right. So there's a conflict inherent in the program where you're telling me to bring my people back on, but... My, my sales crew, they can't be out doing ride-alongs. They can't be in accounts. They can't be doing any of that stuff, really. And so I can't really employ everybody. Right. Do I right. take them off of unemployment, which has been goosed by the federal thing, and screw them financially? Or do I work my way through and try to find the middle ground? So really, I think many of us are in that situation sure, where sure. I've got some people working full-time, many people working part-time, and some people not working at all. And it's, it runs the gamut based on their personal situation, our ability to cross-purpose them within the company, and you know, try to, we're trying to maximize forgiveness as well and take care of everyone the best we can and keep, keep the team feeling like a team because, and this is, you know, sitting at home, not working drives some, some people crazy. For sure. They want to be doing something. And I didn't mean that in a pejorative way, that it is a gl- an un- unemployment program. Uh, I think that you're right. It was a very quick thing. Um, that leg- That's a very complex piece of legislation with a lot of money attached to it that was pushed out in a matter of days. Uh, unfortunately, when we see the economy teetering on the edge of like a total collapse and, and looking at the kind of unemployment filings that we've seen for the last four weeks, I mean, this is just a... And then, I mean, we, you know, we haven't seen numbers like this since the Great Depression. Yeah, right, this not, is a serious, major, major issue. Two months ago, I was talking to our legislators. It's like, get ready. It's going to be 20% unemployment. And I, you know, I'm afraid we're going into depression. Make sure the unemployment office is fully tooled up because right. the wave is coming. The PPP, once we realize, so either we pay them or the government, either the government pays them through this program or the government pays them through that program. It's like, we need to keep our people safe still, you know, so safety is their number one consideration. How do we keep everyone healthy and keep their families healthy? And then how do we, how do we maximize the use and how do we, how do we make the the business healthy? How do we be there to survive to, you know, the ship to swim back to when, uh, when the flood goes back away. So I'm very, very, grateful that the program exists. I know that many, many breweries have taken advantage of it. I think your situation, depending on where you are as, as a bigger brewery with a lot of people that package and sell and deliver and logistics and lab and everybody marketing, all of those people, you know, it, for us, it's a little different. If you're a, a small, small place and you're taking money on a K1, you have no payroll. It doesn't, doesn't help you. If, you know, if you're running a, yeah. an LLC like that, it doesn't it doesn't help you all. If you're not paying nine forty ones, you're so there's definitely gaps, and a lot of those gaps are on the edgier part of of the economy. You know, the gig economy. The, sure, sure. They're, they're, now they're starting to collect that stuff as well. So, I think that I I know that our legislators are craving information 
and real world examples because I know most of them want to help and they want to craft something that makes sense. They don't want to feel like idiots, you know, in a year or two. I was like, man, we really blew that and we didn't even go back and try to fix it. I do believe that <laughs> they're already working on the next bill. There's going to be a series of things and it really depends on how the states are able to manage manage COVID right. in our presence because this stuff is going to be around for years. I mean, sorry, it's, I just we're planning for years, and it's going to be here for years. And it's how well do we manage living with it that's going to make the difference. And the worse a job we do of that, the longer it's going to really impact our business. Let's talk a little bit about what your business looks like now and then some of that forecasting that you have for how it will look at various stages in the future. But first, this episode is brought to you by Brewers Publications, publishers of historical brewing techniques, the lost art of farmhouse brewing by Lars Marius Garshaw. Equal parts history, cultural anthropology, social science, and travelogue, historical brewing techniques describes northern European farmhouse brewing and fermentation methods that are vastly different from modern craft brewing. Order your copy of Historical Brewing Techniques today at brewerspublications.com. Also, Craft Beer and Brewing's all-access subscriptions give you a year of the print and digital editions of the magazine, plus access to our library of video courses, a special deep-dive email only for all-access subscribers, premium content, and all-access exclusive merchandise. Go to beerandbrewing.com and click on the subscribe button to join now. You know, I've had plenty of brewers tell me that they are operating at about 30% of usual right now that, uh, um, you know, that what they're able to do, you know, and this is, you know, we also out there in the world of beer are seeing conflicting news and reports on one side. There is that IRI data that says beer sales in, in that kind of, you know, mass market retail chain is, is up as much as 20%. And so, you know, anecdotally, if you're like, oh, people are buying tons of beer from the store, you know, breweries must be raking it in, Um, you know, on the flip side, you know, no one's going to sporting events. There's a whole there's immense amount of draft beer that's not being sold. Um, And then, of course, all of your tap, you know, your tap room and all of that revenue and all of those direct sales are pretty much shut down, too. So from your business perspective, what is you know, what are you operating at right now? Um, you know, and what does that mean, you know, for the business at this point? I've read the IRA data and I'm like, really? <laughs> Is that what's happening? Because it doesn't feel like it. We, um, when we saw, saw the tsunami arriving from our spot low on the hill, just barely above the beach, um, we said, all right, let's see what happens if we run a budget at 50% production. And we're lucky. I mean, we're an established brand. We're... Um, 70%-ish package sales, yeah. 30% draft, um, and, and, dra- and craft overall skews heavy draft, right? Yeah. I mean, it's the big guys are running high single digits, m- many of them. So who's benefiting? People with the best chain relationships, the, the widest distribution for package, and um, the least portion of draft sales. I mean... If anyone's going to benefit, that's where you got to be. We're not there. Most of our peers are, are not there. 
even Molson cores, you know, if their last quarter showed they were down 8%. So yeah. um, even folks that were in a, are in a position to quote unquote benefit from that are clearly and obviously not benefiting yeah. from it. But. We we planned 50%. We, um, we ran somewhere around in March. I think we ended up, because that was like the full shock is like, right, boom, right. everything just stopped. Um, probably ran in right near 60% of what we expected. Yeah. Um, and April, I think we're running more like 65. I haven't seen five, numbers will be out next week, but we're thinking 60, between 65 and 70% maybe, you know, so, um, but you got to think we loaded up our pipeline. We're, we skew to the winter months right. and in, into, into St. Patty's day. Um, so that's our biggest time. So we're killing the tail end of our biggest time. So it's going to take a little while for the package sales to work their way all the way through the system now because it was loaded and then a lot of it just got shut off. Um, where, where we think it's going to go, I mean, we're still budgeting 50% because I think it's going to be bumpy up and down. I think states are going to open... To some extent, I think some of them might figure it out. Some of them are going to close again. I have no, no doubt that we ain't opening and it's all up. There's that's just ludicrous and impossible because not everyone's going to get it right. Um, so we're, I think we'll trickle through the the draft that we've got out there. I think that we'll finally get to. We're seeing reorders on on package and. We expect to at least run it half in May from what we see on our order board right now. And then going forward, I, I don't know what's I, I, mean, I, I don't know what's going to happen. Can, if you can tell me what's going to happen, all I know is that we're planning based on a 12 to 18 month vaccine availability. We're planning on two years of hell. And then I'm looking at a, you know, who knows? Three to five plus year dig out. That's I think the I think this is going to ripple through the economy. Let me just give you like one example. As I sit there and do these, it's like so. Who else is going to be damaged? You know, there's a moratorium on evictions in Colorado right now, right? All right, so who's that hurt? Oh, all those rich developers and all those giant corporations, and the the couple that you know had four apartment units and they're living on social security and their rent and they're paying their mortgage that they have on the units and that's and they're taking a they're taking a K1 distribution you know they have no employees and those kind of people are getting hurt too and then i think well if i'm a restaurant and i'm going to operate at 25% for the next 3 months or 6 months or however many months or 50% guess what i can't pay my full rent I can only pay 25% or 50% of my rent. And as that starts to trickle through, I'm just thinking like this, this a tr it's going to ripple out real estate values. What's going to happen to those? Are they going to readjust to the new reality of 25% fewer restaurants and restaurants that, ex that are able to survive renegotiating? I'm going to pay you two thirds of what I was paying you. And you know, all these, all the owners of all of these properties going back to their banks and going, hey, man, I need to renegotiate my loan because I got to stretch it out an extra 10 years because there's no way I can pay you back on what they're going to pay. And otherwise, I'm going to be sitting with empty properties and all of that rippling through. And then the valuations and the insurance companies that insure all this stuff. I'm just like, oh, my God, I'm going to drive myself crazy. 
but sure, but sure. I see Everything's the connected. I see the ripples just f- spreading through in ways that we can't even predict yet. Yeah. So my big concern is they're either going to have to keep that we've got to get in front of this thing. We've got to attack it and be able to to manage it. We can't eliminate it, but we have to manage it. And the government is going to have to continue to just fire hose money into the economy and into people's pockets to keep the crime rate from going up and to make sure that everybody's, you know, able to feed their families and stay safe and and somehow figure a way to keep pumping money into businesses and keep them on life support, you know, because we're lucky. Like we started on the hard end of the business and that is the hard end of the business. Distributing beer in package is a hard end of the business. And um, I'm glad that we're battle hardened because now it gives us an advantage, if you will. You know, we've at least run in 60 to 70 percent. Well, that's better than running at 30 percent. And I'm very thankful for that. And if I can keep 90, 80 percent, 90 percent of my people working at least part time, that's that's good. And uh, we'll do everything we can to, 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 to run that number higher and to get more business so that I'm giving more hours of my production guys and giving more hours. Marketing's already overbooked anyway, you know. Get some of my salespeople back out there, even yeah. if they're just merchandising in the stores. The stores can't keep up. Right. Because think, they just saw a, whatever, 30% increase in, in food sales. I know a, a friend of mine in Jackson Hole, 74% up. Because no one's eating in restaurants. Right, so there's right. more food going through there. It, it just, it's squeezing the, the balloon and it's moving in different, different directions. And yeah, the impacts and the unexpected impacts and the long-term impacts. I mean, it's, it's really, if you, if you can divest yourself emotionally, and I've told my, my team this a couple of times, remember between all the freaking out and stressing and worrying to pay attention. We are living through an historic period. This is, you'll be telling your grandkids about this way down the road. You lived through the pandemic, you know, of 2021, 22, or whatever the hell, 19 to whatever it's going to, 19 to 21. I mean, it's going to be a world, it's a worldwide event. You know, I got a brother in Armenia. He ain't going anywhere. I got a daughter in Italy and my wife's whole family over there. And she's over there. She ain't going anywhere. Yeah. You know. People are stuck where they are. We had a, one of our brewers went to Peru right before everything shut down, spent two weeks quarantined in his hotel, um, and then got a flight back sponsored by the embassy and got here and spent two weeks quarantined in his house. He's back brewing. I saw him today. But, I mean, look how life has changed. For sure. For sure. Let's talk about quarantine for a little bit. I mean, for you operating a business, that's also a major concern, um, keeping your customers healthy, but also keeping your staff healthy um, so that you can continue to operate has to be a major thought in the back of your head and uh, have a like reflect in the practice of how you manage everything from work schedules to uh, workplace sanitation. Absolutely. You know, if one of your employees goes, you know, comes down with this, every single person that they've come into contact with then is at risk. And now, you know, 
you've got to quarantine everyone for a little while just yeah. to make sure that they don't continue passing it on. You know, if, if your entire brew house goes out sick, then you can't make beer. And then you, you know, you've got what you have in the tanks, you know, for the next couple of weeks yeah. until you can start getting people back in. Yeah, we we're lucky that we run multiple shifts. So we're set up for that. We we were we I mean, normal times we we have a, a department managers meeting you know, once a week. We, we've boosted up to four times a week because of COVID. We're becoming employment law experts. We're becoming HIPAA experts. <laughs> we're becoming ep- epidemiologically expert. We're becoming virologists. We are, man, we are le- learning so much right now, but we've got a group and we discuss all of this. It's like, how do we operate safely? And so we've, in some departments, we've gone to platooning. I mean, anyone work that can work from home is working from home, but we've gone to platoons. So not, there's we're trying to minimize crossover between different shifts so that most people aren't seeing each other if you're on a different shift. And that way, when you're doing your investigation- They can only cross-contaminate with X number of people. We've yeah. already had to do contact tracing a, right. a couple of times. Okay. And you, you run through it like, all right, who have you seen? And you get a list of people and you can't share names because of HIPAA unless the person gives you the, the permission to do that. And then it's like, all right, so how is the workspace configured? We're configuring to keep people away from each other to minimize close contact. Um, we're required by law to have masks on. So, you know, everybody has to be masked. Um, we've got curbside deliver and pickup, curbside pickup and delivery only options for, for our retail sales. Um, people in offices have to, I mean, we really are trying to keep everybody separated to the extent that that is practical. But if somebody who's working in close contact with somebody for, you know, for a period of time, it's like, well, they're, they popped positive. Guess what? Sorry. And until they test negative and we, we can confirm that they're negative or until, you know, until we see that you're not, you know, you're, you're stuck at home. Sorry. And everybody's aware of that. So you really then have to communicate that, communicate that, communicate that to everybody and let them know that you have to be partially responsible for yourself as well. Um, you can't, you can't just think that it's all going to, it doesn't apply to you. It, It applies to every single one of us. And we all have to, to embody that behavior and basically peer pressure of, hey, keep your, pull your mask up, man. You know, you, you got to have it on um, and, and, and protect, you, protect your fellow coworkers and human beings and their families. Think about that. Whoever we contact, and we're contacting everybody else that that person contacts. So that has to be a challenge from an employer perspective because, you know, you've got potentially employees across their own political and philosophical kind of spectrums. And some of those may, you know, philosophically not agree that this is, you know, there are certainly, you know, what, 15 or 20 percent of the country right now that uh, does not buy in with the kind of you know closure strategy that we've taken. Um, but if they behave in a way, even in their own private life, that puts them at risk, then it certainly does impact the whole business. From you as a leader of a business, how do you manage through that? Um, for Well, <laughs> the easy answer is. It's easy because it's the law in Colorado as an essential business. We don't have a choice. You have to socially distance yourself and you have to wear a mask. So, and if you don't, well, we, we have options, right? 
And some of those would result in you not being eligible for unemployment benefits. So people should be, at least in Colorado, highly motivated to comply with a reasonable request. And in the end, it's like, it's not even, it's not even a re request. The governor's basically given an executive order. Unless you're sitting in a room by yourself, you got a mask on. Period. So... I think most I think most people get it, but I would also say philosophically, my response is your freedom ends where you endanger others. And if they're telling us that not wearing a mask and not keeping your distance is endangering others, you can then work your way through. Is that an assault? Is that a battery? Is that, you know, what is that? What level, you know, of of activity is that considered under the law? And I think this is a whole new area. I think I think the lawyers are going to be really busy after uh, after this thing, you know, gets to a new level. As someone who also is a business owner, uh, let's hope that that doesn't become the case. Putting on you know that kind of former chair of the Brewers Association board, there are a number of breweries today who are taking their own philosophical stands trying to reopen and uh, you know push or uh, even go against the kind of political leadership of their state and closure orders um, you know there are uh, how do you on you know as a, you know coming from that perspective of a group that represented all of craft beer um, respond to those kinds of actions that some members of this craft beer family are taking i've heard some stories i don't have a lot of details on that but <laughs> that's a very egotistical self-centered i think way to to look at what is a shared responsibility um if if we're being told by the experts that you shouldn't be bringing people into close proximity then then that's what you do. I mean, unless <laughs> unless you're living in your own private Idaho, I don't know how you can justify defying what is a worldwide problem and thinking that you are special. That's a really bratty way to behave. There's that argument though that we hear often, like I've got to feed my family. I've got to, we've got to, you know, put food on the table and we've got to support our employees and the only way to do that is to reopen is to endanger everyone's life even more that's what i heard you just say that's um i man we're all dealing with difficult decisions you should be using all of the tools available to you you should be taking advantage of six hundred dollars a week additional unemployment benefit for all of your people that's there is no there is no you you can't convince me that your employees, you know, are going to starve to death if they're getting, you know, whatever your unemployment in your state is, plus $600 additional a week, plus $1,200 from the government, plus $1,200 for your wife, plus $500 for every kid. Excuse me, nobody that's eligible. Now, I understand there's people on the fridges that may not, may not, you know, be able to, to access that, but 
you, you can't convince me that if you've got all of those resources that you can't hang on for a few months and try to be part of the solution as, to, in, in, as opposed to fucking it up for all of us. Um, Sorry, is that a little too blunt? But, <laughs> but, but that's how I feel. It's like sure, we have sure. a common responsibility. Man, we, are, we build community. That's what we do. That's why we want to stay independent. That's why we're, we, want to, we want to be here for the long term and not sell out and, and to continue to make a difference and to take the short-term view right now with all of the largesse that the government is raining on our heads just because philosophically you disagree and your freedoms being imposed upon, that's bullshit. I want to open as bad as anybody, but I also feel an obligation to be responsible citizen, business owner, member of society, person with parents near or above 80, kids, you know, we, we all owe it to ourselves, I think, really. To, to take a deep breath, let's, let's, let's be responsible. Let's work together to find solutions. And there are now, you know, staged reopenings, you know, even here in Colorado uh, within the next week or two. You know, we may start seeing restaurants uh, able to reopen in a kind of measured way, you know, 25% capacity and kind of increasing uh, at, you know, as they are watching the numbers and are you know kind of preparing for or making sure that these things aren't spiking. For you operating a business, um, what are your own criteria for reopening? Are you following, looking, f- you know, to the the state and those kinds of uh, guidance from the state government as to what you are going to do? Do you have a different set of criteria that you will apply to your own business? No, we've we've always tried to diligently <laughs> comply with with the experts' advice. I mean, I believe in science. I believe that if if you've got experts, then you you tend to listen to them, and you don't think that you're smarter than everybody else. So if they say that you've got to keep people this far apart, or you get your occupancy is you know so many square feet divided by your total square feet, or X percentage of your occupancy load. We'll do everything we can to to keep people apart and keep them distant and keep our people safe. And if people won't work with us to comply, then we won't serve them. We will send them on their merry way. But everybody's got to work together. We've talked a lot about uh, you know politics, economics, you know, and uh, response to the pandemic. But what we haven't really talked about is left hand beer. And what you're positive and excited about right now in the world of brewing. What are those pieces of hope and creativity that keep pushing you forward? Certainly, you've got your people to look out for and you want to keep a business you know, moving forward so that you can take care of them. But you also have to have that creative spark that still excites you after all of these years. What is exciting you and keeping you motivated from a creative standpoint? Well, I'm old and stayed in old fashion. And I would say our 1265 Pilsner truly excites me. Um, we, we discontinued Polestar several months ago, and we've been working on 
on that. So we, twelve sixty five is going to go into package starting in June once we get once we get our cans from Ball. But that one's already available on draft. So I mean, you either, you can only get it in a growler or buy a new growler. That's the only way to to get it right now. Except um, Haystack Mountain actually has it on tap. If you're out of the golf course, you huh. know you can't go into the clubhouse, but you can get it out there. There's a there's a couple places that that you can get it. Um, the there's a lot of cool stuff coming out of the test kitchen. Some of it I think is really cool. Um, others, it's maybe not my bag, but there's some really creative stuff. This Moscow Mule that we put out is getting really good responses. We've got our Getting Tiki With It, which is kind of a pina colada riff um, coming out. I think official release is um, coming up on Saturday. And we're doing a bunch of virtual online stuff since nobody's getting near anybody <laughs> else anymore. Um, the women's women's beer is um, it's a pilsner that the Pink Brute Society did a few weeks ago, and uh, a month and a half ago, whenever it was, right before the whole shutdown hit. And that one just came on tap in the tasting room, so that's cool. The Galactic Cowboy, that's a nitro beer that we've done. It's a single mash IPA or Imperial Stout. Wake Up Dead is our double mash. It's like no sugar, just malt. But it's harder to keep that one in stock. So the Galactic Cowboy is a intended to be a year-round nitro-available um, Imperial Stout. That one's exciting me. There's a just We've got a lot of cool stuff. We've got some stuff in barrels, our 25 plus 1. Um, we've, we've only let in a limited number of people buy that one right now but that's that's our 25th anniversary that got aged in a combo of barrels that got rebottled and or remixed and bottled so that one's there's, there's a lot of cool stuff i'm more of a i like beer flavored beer so that's my i guess sure, my handicap sure. today in today's beer world right but i love going around to breweries and, and asking for their beer flavored beer because that's what i that's what i really really like sure sure um while we close here i want to ask you one last question um for the young brewery operators out there the ones that have gone into business in the last five to seven years and have never had to weather a storm like the one that we're going through now. Um, what's your biggest piece of advice for those brewers? <sighs> oh man, I mean, we we've internally been talking about when it hits, when it hits again, and but we thought the hit was going to come from just the, uh, an overpopulation of breweries, and basically. It's inevitable that there's not enough room. And Bart Watson's giving talks and, and basically sure. saying that. It's like, I'm watch, watching the trends and there's a problem ahead of us. No one predicted this, which just basically took the problem from, you know, 13 to 99, you know, like, boom, overnight. So no one predicted that. But I would say to them, conserve cash. Uh <laughs> I think finding equity is not impossible right now. Be willing, if you want to survive, to perhaps share a piece of your company with somebody. Um, I don't know what kind of valuations are going on out there right now. I'm sure not the best anymore. Um, I would advise people to be extremely circumspect when considering going into additional debt 
Don't mortgage your damn house if you haven't already. You know, have a place to live. This is going to stretch on longer than most of us expect it will, I believe. I hope I'm wrong, man. I hope that we prove me wrong. I really don't want to live like this for for an extended period of time. Conserve cash. Be be um, kind to your people. Do the best you can for them. Help them through the process. Um, share in the collective wisdom and knowledge that our community has and all of these committees and groups and everything. Use, use what other people are, are figuring out to help you weather the storm. Show up every day. Get enough exercise. Treat your, your body nicely. Stay healthy physically and mentally because you got to show up to the game every single day with a good attitude or, or you're just going <laughs> to... The alternative is despair. And that's not really not an option if you're, if you're a business owner. You can't show up in despair every day. Anybody that you touch will then be infected. And you don't want to infect people with despair. There's already COVID going around. Like, we don't need more, more problems. So show up with a good attitude. Find a, find a path. Be positive And be realistic. Just don't. I may ask you to cut this out, but, but I'm going to say it anyway. Consider the, your long-term options. Don't go further into debt to try to save something that can't be saved. I think that's important. I really think that's important. I'm hearing other people advise that. Um, if, if it's better to cut bait, you know, get the hell out, go. Um, don't, don't risk your family's future to try to save it. Some things are not savable, and it depends on your situation. Everyone's got to judge their own situation. I think that's an interesting one, that you can find yourself in a hole and you try to fill it back up, and you still can't get out of it, and then you've just made a bad situation even worse. Don't screw your kids 529s. Don't, don't, just don't. Get some outside trusted advisor to look at your situation and help you make a decision. If, if that's where it goes, I know people that are in that situation, and it's like, dude, do not, do not commit your house. Do not go there. Just don't. It's heartbreaking that we even have to have this conversation and be discussing it that, at this kind of level. I, and I intend that as the yeah. very constructive, heartfelt advice because I'm, uh, I'm 58 years old. I've been doing this for a long time. Um, and before, this, before that, I was in charge of nuclear weapons, man. I mean, I mean I, we were fighting the Cold War, keeping the commie hordes at bay. So I've, I've had some, a couple of different life experiences in terms of employment and and you get to a point it's like oh, sometimes just take a step back take a deep breath don't 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 risk everything yeah i think that's a good point to leave it at eric wallace left hand brewing company thanks for joining me on the podcast today certainly thanks I for think- thanks for coming to my front porch it's been a tough conversation. It's one that is in the minds of brewers everywhere as we try to figure out the ways forward in this kind of environment. Well, if there's if there's anything, little tidbit of value anywhere in there, then then it's been well worth it. All right. Uh, all the best to the Left Hand family, and I hope you all um, 
find a way through this and find a way to prosper again at some point here in the future. Thank you. We're, uh, we've got a great team. I think attitudes are really positive. We're, we're going to continue to work hard because we intend to be part of the solution coming out the back end of this damn thing. Well, cheers. All right, cheers. Nearly 2,000 breweries across the U.S., Canada, and Mexico partner with G&D Chillers, Old Orchard are the industry's juice blending experts. Hopsteiner is your premium supplier for quality hops and hops products. Ska Fabricating invites you to ride the magic bus. Historical brewing techniques, the lost art of farmhouse brewing is out now from Brewers Publications. And Craft Beer and Brewing's all-access subscriptions are the best way to support this very podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at craftbeerbrew.